Good morning. In a few minutes, uh, when the sermon is over, which might not feel like a few minutes, I don't know, we'll see. Um, we're going to stand and we're going to confess the Christian faith and we're going to pledge our allegiance to this God who's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And um, then we're going to pray. We're going to pray for the church, for the world, for our city, for ourselves. And then we have Eucharist, this amazing meal our Lord Jesus gave us. And the way we begin Eucharist is we pass baskets around the room and we give our money to the Lord by giving it to the church. Now, if you're not a Christian, this is kind of like, what? Not like, oh, cool. If you're not a Christian, this is a lot. A pledge of allegiance to the God of Christianity, not the God of Islam or Buddhism, not the God of secularism, science, but to the God of Christianity. And giving our money to this God by giving it to the church and then a meal where God nourishes us with his very life. Now, this is the Christian faith, and it should strike you as weird because it's a religion. And it's different than the religion we participate in, in our jobs, in our schools, in our sports, in all the places we move around in this world. This is how Christians have worshipped for 2,000 years. And for 2,000 years before that, this is the roots of Christianity, singing, praying, scripture, money, and food. Without those things, you don't have a full-on Christian worship service. This has always been a part of Christian worship. You find this in passages like Deuteronomy chapter 26, where God tells his people, when they gather for worship, their worship must always culminate in tithing together and eating together. And that carries right on through the entire Bible. The Old Testament, the New Testament, before Jesus, after Jesus, while Jesus was here. Whenever God's people gather to worship, they sing, they pray, they listen to scripture read and taught. And all of that culminates in a meal and giving money. They're tithe, 10%. Right off the top, right in the midst of the worship service. They take 10% of their money and they give it over to the priest, it says in Deuteronomy, who sets it before the Lord. Always been that way before Jesus, when Jesus was around, after Jesus. Now, those of you who are Christians and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I just want you to imagine for a minute that you just stepped in here and you just heard somebody say that. Now think about all the triggers, <laughs> or maybe you don't even have to imagine. Maybe they're just all firing right now on your own. And I want us for this morning, our time together, to ask the question, why? Why did God instruct his people to give 10% of their money as an act of worship 
together? That's the question I want to answer. And I want to start by recognizing it's just so weird. It's just so odd, right? It doesn't strike the ear as cool. It strikes the ear as hold on now. And I'm sure there are lots of reasons it's so odd to us today, starting with the fact that it's my money, not the church's money. I earned it. I own it. That would, I don't think that way. I was raised in the church. I've always given 10% of my money. But I'm sure that if I, I, I can't even imagine hearing this for the first time, but I'm sure if I did, I would be a little bit like, I don't like the government for taxes, and I don't like what you're saying right now either. And then there's the whole issue of, do I even trust the church? Do I trust that the church is going to do with this something responsible? And even if I were so generous as to give away 10% of my income, shouldn't I spread it around to lots of really good causes? Because there's a lot of need in this world. And then there's a whole issue for many of us that 10% is, is going to take a chunk. It's going to deeply shape um, what we eat tomorrow. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so once again, why? Why does God in the Bible give such a high, hard, challenging, stretching, pragmatic, there's no way around it. It's not 8%. It's not, it's not metaphorically tithe. It's, why is it so pragmatic, so in your face, so specific? Why? Okay. Let's start by going back to one of the most significant passages in the Bible. So if you have a Bible with you, turn to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and let's start in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, this passage is the tiny hinge that the entire story of the Bible turns on. It is virtually impossible to overstate the significance of Genesis 12, 1 to 3 for the biblical story. Now, remember, when the story of the Bible starts, in the very first two chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, we see God's original intention for creation, that it's good, that it's flourishing, that humans are getting along with each other, with themselves, with God, with, they're not exploiting nature, all of this. Then in Genesis chapters 3 through 11, we see uh, it doesn't turn out that way, right? Humans rebel, and, and human rebellion pollutes and twists and distorts and corrupts God's good world, especially human society and culture, not to mention the natural world. So when we get to Genesis chapter 12, what is being offered in these few verses is God's blueprint for rescuing the world, for rescuing people, for rescuing nature, for rescuing culture. And his blueprint has 
two parts to it. How is God going to fix everything? Number one, he's going to form a group of people. And number two, that group of people, will God will bless them so that through them, he blesses the world. So God's rescue plan for the world is not about individuals. It's about a community. God's rescue plan for the world is that he chooses a community to embody and display his original good intention for creation for the sake of the nations. The people of God are to be set apart, different from all the other people by what they are and by what they're becoming. They're supposed to be a display people, a showcase to the world of what it looks like to be in a relationship with this really generous, kind, good, amazing, powerful creator. Not just what it looks like to be in relationship with him, but they're supposed to display to the world how being in relationship with God changes you. So God's mission is to heal the world, and that involves his blueprint. How is he going to do that? Is to form a people, God's people, living in God's way in the sight of the nations. His mission is not primarily about going somewhere and doing something. God's mission is about being. It's about being a distinctive kind of people, a counterculture community among the nations. Now, turn to the New Testament. Turn to the Gospel of John. When, that, when we turn to the New Testament, Jesus gives this identity to the church. The same mission. The church is the people of God in the world for the sake of the world. John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. He had been crucified and raised from the dead. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. So here is Jesus gathering and renewing a community to take up God's mission in the world. The church is the community charged with God's mission. And what is God's mission? to bless the world, to heal the world, to sort it all out, to get it back to his original good intentions, to forgive sins, to reconcile us to himself, to bring shalom, to bring flourishing into every corner of human society and culture and nature. Notice God's response to the brokenness of the world, the evil and the suffering and the distortions, the pains, the wounds, the shame. God's response is to form a community and to then thrust that community into the world for the sake of the world. This is the church with its roots in the Old Testament and Jesus launches the church, this movement launched into the public life of the world to draw all people to Christ. 
Now, if that's true, why wouldn't you give 10% of your money to that? If that's not true, this is a Ponzi scheme or some scam or something, right? It all rests on that. It all rests on the weight that the church is the community formed by God for the life of the world. So we hear a passage in the Old Testament, like our Old Testament reading this morning, Leviticus chapter 27, verses 30 to 33. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he has to add a fifth to it. And every tithe of herds and flocks and every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between good or bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it. And if he does substitute for it, then both it and the sub, like if you cheat, like both of them, right, are holy to the Lord. It will not be redeemed. He can't get it back. When we read this passage in the Old Testament, God is either a cruel dictator or he's taking this and doing something with it for the life of the world. And if the world is so broken and the world needs healing and this is God's way to heal it, then it makes sense. Now, I'm not asking you to agree with it. I'm just trying to open up the inner logic of Scripture why the Scripture is just super clear and super bold and unapologetic on this. Taking time all through the Bible, it takes time to navigate. Now, what exactly does 10% mean if it's an animal? Well, what if it's crops? Well, what if it's money? And the Bible goes into huge detail on, yeah, you got to figure that out because 10% of what you have doesn't belong to you. It's holy. If you keep it in your bank account, you're a thief, the Bible says. Like the Bible's like really hardcore about this stuff. It belongs to the Lord, not to the people. So people don't give tithe, they repay tithe. And so they brought this into their worship. And God said, this is such a big deal. Your worship has to culminate in this action. This way of declaring that God owns everything and we're stewards and we don't own this land and these resources and these animals and this money. God owns it all. And we don't get to like say, well, I can manage it better than the church or than you or whatever. It's easy to forget this. It's hard to enjoy the gifts of prosperity without forgetting God, that it's God who gave us everything we have. And it's hard to enjoy the gifts of prosperity without forgetting the purpose of prosperity. Blessed to be a blessing for the sake of the nations. Remember, God forms a community that he will bless so that through that community, God blesses the world. And the people of God are to be set apart, different from all the other people by what they are and by what they're becoming. They are to be a showcase a display to the world of what it looks like to be in relationship with Yahweh and how it changes you. Now, let's go back to where we started. Why? Why does God in the Bible get so invasive up into our finances, into this thing that's so sacred and so at the core of who we are? Why does he command us to do it, not only to give 10%, but exactly how in worship, blah, 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 blah. Well, just think about it for a minute. What is it displaying in America today when a group of people get together and do that? If there was ever a thing we do 
that is a display to the world that the God we worship is generous, right? So generous, so sacrificial, at such great pains. If there's any part of our service that demonstrates that, that puts it on display, it's Americans letting go of 10%. Do you see that? Do you see how that looks? That looks like generous God, generous people. Everything we do here in the West, we do in the context of this massive economy, this powerful economic culture that is everywhere invading every corner of our lives. And it's driven, it's, it's driven by our dedication to mass consumption. Materialistic consumption has become virtually impossible to escape. Every Christian impulse to give generously runs up against these powerful counter impulses of mass consumerism. To instead give away more of our money, we are, we are formed to spend more of our money, acquire more, consume more, discard more, and then spend more on ourselves and our families. The current form of our Western mass consumer capitalism, it surrounds us and it overwhelms us through deep-rooted institutions of employment and transportation and media and home ownership and entertainment and the distribution and selling of mass discretionary purchases and material luxuries. The American economy is structured in such a way that if we do not continually consume massive amounts of material goods, then the economy will slow down and eventually collapse. Mass consumer capitalism has generated enormous wealth and also a system that if it doesn't grow, it dies. And there are so many good things about Western capitalism. But one thing seems clear, it works against our impulse to be generous. So week after week, when we gather in worship and declare our allegiance to Yahweh and his kingdom and tithe, give 10% of our income to the church, we are displaying an act of generosity that can jam a spoke in the wheel of greed and consumerism that just all day long is shaping us. So we're giving our money to the church, the community Jesus launched into the world to draw all people to Christ, to heal the world. When we tithe, we are giving our money to God's mission. I read a book recently published by Oxford University Press written by two of the leading sociologists in America. And this book was very humbling. It pointed out that contemporary American Christians or probably the most affluent single group of Christians in all of history. And when you compare American Christian giving to giving in other places and other times, we are seriously ungenerous. I, I didn't know that. I, I thought we were more generous. 
And the data was overwhelming. The statistics are pretty clear. American Christians on the whole are just not very generous on the whole. 25% of all U.S. Christians give $0 to the church or any charity. 25% who say they were saved by God sending his son to die for them give not even a penny to the church or any charity. The vast majority of American Christians give very little to the church, parachurch, non-religious charities. 42% of Christians do what the Bible says, give 10% of their income, less than half. And then they document what would happen if the other 58% gave a tithe. It, it's, it's mind-boggling. I mean, it's, it's massive. <laughs> fundamental sea change in the state of society. So in this book, they ask the question, why? They're not trying to preach. They're just like looking at the data. And then they start trying to figure out why are American Christians less generous, more rich than less and less generous? What causes that? They say, number one, it's really expensive to live in America. Right now, it's the, the age of first time home ownership is going higher and higher and higher. It's very hard to live in America. So it is rich, but it also costs more to live here. And then on top of that, there's all the forces that shape us into adding to our bills, discretionary forces. I mean, how many things are you subscribing to to watch movie and TV, Spotify, Amazon Prime, bigger houses, cooler toys, expensive hobbies, vacations, eating out, all of these choices we really do make, it means that tithing will come at a lifestyle cost. Number two, they said, the data showed them that many American Christians simply have not seriously confronted and grappled with the hard teachings of Christianity about money. Pastors shy away from teaching on it. I, I can get that. This is really hard what I'm trying to do right now. I mean, I can think right now, like if you're a visitor here for the first time, how does this look anything other than like self-interest, right? There's just so many reasons. This is, uh, pastors shy away from it. And churches simply do not expect people to live up to it. Even conservative churches that expect people to live up to the sexual ethic don't hold any accountability for this. A third reason they discovered that American Christians are less generous than Christians elsewhere is that America has a growing lack of confidence in the trustworthiness of the church. Like if I don't trust the thing, am I gonna give to the thing, right? A fourth reason they document is American Christians are not as generous as the Bible teaches and as Christians elsewhere is that we've developed a culture of money in America that says your money, your choice, private. And so one of the odd things about American Christians is that their giving is not publicly known and held accountable publicly. Our money is sacred. What anyone gives and why is entirely their own, a business, their own business. It's a private matter entirely between them and God. Few Christians appear to talk openly about it. In fact, they discovered very few Christians either even talk about their financial giving to their spouses. There's just something about American economic culture that puts money in this very private place 
So the topic is nearly taboo. Our, our giving doesn't play out in any social context, encouraging role model learning or relational support or information sharing or accountability. Every person for themselves. And that, to be honest, that's, they say this is a major reason Americans want to give more, but they can't give more because, look, AA alone says if you're trying to kick an addiction, you got to have some sort of community accountability, right? We're addicted to greed and consumption in America. Like, that is the thing. Number five, these sociologists said their surveys indicated that many American Christians appear to want to avoid adopting systemic giving. And when you give, and, and American Christians prefer, prefer being led by the Spirit, they prefer, like, occasional giving where something comes up, oh, that's a cause, I like it. And they discovered in their data, systemic, routine, planned, percentage-based giving always results in more. And occasion giving, like when stuff comes up, they discovered that it always produces less giving than the person really wants to give. So the Bible gives us clear instructions. I, I want to end with five practical steps. Number one, in the Bible, tithing is an act of obedience, not a feeling or... Um, a response to a need. Choose to obey even if you don't feel like it. Treat your tithe like a bill, just up on the front end. Number two, in the Bible, the focus is almost always not on how much you give, but on what percentage you give. So don't, don't look at how much you're giving as much as you look at the percentage you're giving. That's the way the Bible, that's the way God wants us to look at it. And yeah, God is legalistic about it. Like, sort of like he's legalistic about murder. Yeah, that's murder, don't do that. No, not almost murder, like murder. Out of the, all right. Number three, in the Bible, there are two distinct ways that we give money, the tithe and the free will offering. Tithe is 10% off top, up front to the church. Free will offering is after that. And it's free will, like, what do you want to do? What do you feel? Um, this is what we saw described in our New Testament reading that Joe had read to us. It was this like, Paul was writing and he said, this is not a command. He was talking about a free will offering. There's a need, and he was like saying to them, hey. So look, here's the way Janelle and I do this. We take, we started at 10% a few years ago, and, and we, we've, we are trying to give away more. The more we make, the more we give. Anyways, but 10% is the baseline of a tithe. We put that away, and then we do like another certain, we do like two or 3% depending on the year that we're going to give as a free will offering whenever we feel like it. Like, um, oh, this friend wants to go on this mission trip or, oh, Bishop Bondudu has these needs or, oh, Young Life or this. And so don't, we, we make a super hardcore discipline. Tithe is this 10% thing we give to the church. Offering is this thing we get to like play with, like fun, right? Like we get to give it away. And these are two different things. Number four, don't underestimate the power you have over your, your budget. There's a lot of consumption decisions you make. You decide what size of house you're buying. You decide what kind of car you're buying, what kind of, what your food budget is. Like you have a lot of, you decide if you're going to have Spotify um, premium um, or Amazon Prime or 
Netflix or all, you, you, you make a lot of decisions that five years down the road, you're like, I can't, I can't, I can't. Yeah, you can't because you did. You did something else at a different point in time. So begin to work on your budget in a super intentional way. And what Janelle and I do is we have always put tithe first, then taxes, then mortgage, then food when we build our budget. And when we, Janelle and I have been very, very poor at times. And we, we went down our budget and we drew a line. Everything after, you know, tithe and groceries and, and light bill is discretionary. What I'm getting at is I think we need to treat it as an up top, up front first thing. All right, number five. Look, it can be hard to trust the church. Um, and I think our church can get a lot better at sharing with you the controls we put in place. I think our church is very trustworthy. Um, so the way our church handles money real quick is the clergy do not control the money. They don't handle it. Um, people from the congregation, 10 people form a group called the parish council. They have all authority over our church's money. I have no authority over the money. They set salaries. I can hire anybody I want. I have authority over um, like the vision of the church. I can hire anybody, all this stuff. I can't pay them anything, right? The parish council pays them. And there's 10 people in our church and they rotate through and they can only serve two terms. So it can't become an Aubrey club. That's pretty cool. It's half men, half women. It's age representative, lifestyle representative of our church. I think it's a great system. Our church votes, they, they prepare the budget, the whole church votes on it. Real quick, I, just, I did some analysis on how our money is spent. There's a lot of ways to break it down, but when we break down our whole budget into five categories, even our salaries and the way, how much my time is spent, where, doing what, 26% of the money of our church is spent on worship. 23% on discipleship. 25% on evangelism, missions, and ministry, 3% on fellowship, and 23% on administration. I think those are pretty cool numbers. If you've ever ran an organization, it's hard to do these kind of things. All right, number six, and I'll be finished. This is hard. This is hard. Just to pick on the conservatives, because I haven't picked on you in a week or two. The conservatives always get nervous in our church when I talk about money, and the liberals in our church always get nervous when I talk about sex. We swear allegiance to a king, and his kingdom is about everything. Nothing is off limits to the king, because it's a kingdom. Our bodies, there's a hard, high, holy calling for sexual purity, and our money there's a hard, high, holy calling. We have such a good king. He's not asking us to do anything that even comes close to what he's done. Let's pray.